0: Hi, Tom Evans here and welcome to the Eat Game podcast, where we aim to educate, inspire and promote the benefits of sustainable, delicious game meat. And this is the first of our weekly interviews, where we talk to some of the country's most talented chefs and restaurateurs. So we're going to be starting our new series uh, with a fantastic guest, Callum Leslie, head chef at Michelin-starred Yorkshire-based restaurant, The Black Swan, uh, a restaurant that has the accolade of being named best restaurant in the world, courtesy of TripAdvisor. So uh, Callum, w- welcome to the podcast and a little bit of pressure there right at the top of our conversation. You're head chef at the best restaurant in the world, my friend.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, um, thank you. Yeah, I don't really know what to say to that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> No, obviously we won that accolade back in 2017. I don't quite know how the algorithms work for uh, TripAdvisor, but it's uh, great, and we'll we'll take that any any victory. Yeah. Um, yes, yeah, so I've I've been at the Black Swan for probably the last four and a half years. Head chef for the last two and a half, I'd say. So. Uh, Yeah, going well. Uh, Definitely not the best restaurant in the world, but uh, we're we're trying our hardest. (laughs)
0: You should have a huge banner out the front, draping off the front, that's what you need. Um, So where do we find
1: you on the map? Um,
0: You're nestled,
1: I know, on the edge of the North Yorkshire Moors, is that right? Yeah, that's correct, yeah. So um, we're probably about 15 or 20 miles just outside of York, um, five or 10 miles from Thirsk and uh, Helmsley, so really kind of nestled away. You wouldn't... uh, you wouldn't just drive past the restaurant, to be honest with you. It's quite tucked away in a beautiful little village called Oldstead, um, where just absolutely uh, fields as far as the eye can see, really. A very beautiful part of the world.
0: And, and it's, it's an old pub, essentially. It's more of a pub than a, than a restaurant to look at from the outside, anyway. It,
1: Exactly that, yes. So we've got this beautiful little bar area downstairs. It's uh, got an open fire that's uh, roaring as we speak, um, where you can kind of come in, you have your drinks and a couple of little light bites downstairs before you head upstairs into the dining room, which again is quite in keeping with a classic pub, just a slightly more refined, what what I'd say.
0: Yeah, lovely. So owned and run by the Banks family, who um, are known very well at that, that part of the world. They've lived and farmed around Olstead for many generations um what's your relationship with the Banks families Tommy I believe still part of the Black Swan is that right or
1: oh yeah massively they're all they're all um so fully invested in in all their businesses they've got uh three restaurants now we just opened a pub down the road about six or seven months ago that's going from strength to strength um but the you know Tommy's here a couple of times a week obviously he can't be everywhere at once um having three restaurants. But yeah, he's here. His brother, James, oversees a lot of the drink side of things. And then Tommy's mum and dad work very closely with them. They basically head up the farm. Um, So we've got about a 200-acre farm that we uh, basically are self-sufficient off with livestock and uh, arable.
0: Amazing. Well, we're going to get to all that in in just a second. First, I want to explore your journey, uh, really, into this industry. Where did it all start for you? Sort of what's led up to this position now at the Black Swan? So were you busy in the kitchen as a kid, always always sort of uh, conscious of food and
1: and, and uh, interested in it from, from an early age? or Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. I mean, I, I think I got my first pot washing job at the local pub when I was uh, 13 or 14. Uh, just a bit of pocket money on the weekend. And then I think one day, one of the guys who usually makes the salad and onion rings called in sick. Uh, so I got my big opportunity <laughs> to work the fryer section and I was hooked from men's, to be honest with you. I um, When I was 17... Uh, dropped out of college to be honest with you and went and uh, got a full-time job at the box tree in Ilkley uh, just the other side of Leeds which uh, had a Michelin star up until a couple of years ago I then uh, from there moved down to Cambridge to work for Daniel Clifford who's a two Michelin star chef down there uh, from there moved to London to work for Marcus Waring um, I did a year to the day in London, it wasn't my cup of tea to be honest with you, right. uh, more of a country boy at heart, hence <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> probably why we're doing this podcast um, and then moved up to Nottingham um, for, for Sat Baines, another two Michelin star chef who uh, to be honest with you really really kind of sparked my first interest in game cookery. That's
0: amazing, and to the Black Swan, where you've, I guess, along the way, you've taken all these great experiences, and, uh, and you've yeah. brought you've brought it to to the Black Swan. So the restaurant itself, I mean, it's got this amazing reputation for its commitment to self sufficiency. Um, I mean, is that the main ethos of the place?
1: A hundred percent, yeah. If, if we can't um, grow it or uh, farm it or source it locally. It basically doesn't make the menu. We don't use lemons in the restaurant. We can't grow lemons here. Um, maybe in a couple of years' time with global warming we might be able to, but for now uh, we, we we grow loads and loads of gooseberries in the garden. In the middle of summer we, we harvest all them and we freeze them and then we juice them. Uh, so we use gooseberry juice as a, as a replacement for lemon juice. That's just one example of uh, ways that we try and be creative, getting around using citrus, for example. And you're that strict with it all? Uh, I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. We we have chocolate on the menu, um, of course. Which obviously, know. obviously, we don't we don't uh, grow it and eat cocoa beans. But um, yeah, yeah, but you know, but we where wherever possible, um, we really, really try as hard as we can. We're very fortunate. We have one Michelin star, and we actually won a green Michelin star back in 2020. We we're one of the first restaurants to win that. which is something we're really, really proud of.
0: So, what, what does that mean? What's the green Michelin star for those that don't know?
1: Um, so it's, it's for uh, sustainability, essentially. So anything from, I mean, there's, there's restaurants in London that have tiny kitchen gardens on their rooftops, uh, right up to us guys that have a 200-acre farm with 100 head of cattle and, uh, you know, beetroots and potatoes for as far as the eye can see.
0: Tell me about the garden then you have out the back of the restaurant. I mean, how close is it to the restaurant? Because it's not like a, a regular veg patch, is it? You have this extraordinary <laughs> variety of produce to choose from.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yes. I mean, I always say to guests, uh, that I think the best time to visit the Black Swan is probably late September. That's when summer really kind of seems to kick in for for us guys up here where everything is absolutely incredible. We've got a, a three acre kitchen garden that's literally a 20 second walk from the back door of the kitchen. Uh, we encourage all the guys to bring the wellies to work because um, they're out there quite a lot in uh, July, August, September time. And um, we pick all our own, um, you know, micro herbs before service, our own tomatoes, uh, right down to, um, you know, like going and getting apples, pears from the orchard, stuff like that. So it's it's an incredible experience and something that I, I've, you know, it's it's so great to the guys. You know, they come here to learn how to cook, but they also learn um, to form that relationship with nature, which I think is so important as a chef.
0: Yeah. I mean, you have all that at your disposal as a chef. That's pretty unique. It's, it's, it's an actual treat. Now, uh, who maintains the the the
1: three acre veg patch so that's um, yeah mainly mainly Tommy's mum and dad to be honest with you they're like they are pretty much full on with that and yeah. obviously managing the farm um, we've got an amazing guy called Ed who joined us two years ago who's kind of head grower is it like but he he's more um, like the, the ag side of things for the for the farm than the, than the kitchen garden, but yeah, mainly mainly the family that maintain it, and they, they do a very good job of it. I must say, yeah, I mean, what
0: a job! Um, that's absolutely amazing. I've seen pictures of it, uh, and yeah. if you go on YouTube, actually, you can see a little a little tour around the garden. It's quite extraordinary. It makes my mini veg patch out the back here <laughs> <laughs> look really pathetic. But um, at the Black Swan, then I guess so. So with the sustainability in mind and the self sufficiency in mind, do you try and stay true? to with your menus to the tradition and and the culture of that part of yorkshire with, with the food as well
1: uh, yeah, I, th- I think so. I mean, obviously we're not a pub, we're a 38-cover we're a, a restaurant that um, does a 15-course tasting menu. So right. uh, not quite as traditional as maybe some people would have in mind, but I think the beauty of um, having the tasting menu, it obviously minimises wastage. We know exactly what every person is going to be eating that evening, whereas in an a la carte situation, you do get a lot more wastage, um, sadly. Um, So in that sense, it works really well for us. And it also means we can showcase lots of different things that people might not normally order. Um, You know, we have the the opportunity to serve up to 200 people a week, um, you know, a couple of different bits of game, uh, a couple of different pieces of fish that maybe they wouldn't normally order uh, and and try and, you know, create an incredible dining experience but also educate people as well
0: yeah and how diverse is your your menu how seasonal is it is is that that a focal point that you you move through the seasons with the different game quarry that's available at the different times of the year
1: yeah absolutely yeah I mean to be honest with you we we I don't want to say that the menu changes daily because ideally it doesn't but if one day something comes in and it's not good we always have something else to drop onto from the farm uh you know like I said we've got our own pigs our own sheep our own cattle Um, and, you know, but then we've also got these amazing estates around here that we work very closely with and and an incredible butcher just based outside of Ripon that um, we also use who, you know, we're never short of good produce around here. We're very lucky.
0: And and talk me through what we might expect to see on on the menu then this time of year, put you on the spot a little bit here, but I mean, what might you be serving in the next couple of days? Give us, especially with game in mind, give us some uh, examples if that's possible.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, so all summer we've had locally shot deer on we've had we've been using roe deer all summer that males are in season um I, off the top of my head, 1st of April to the 31st of October. Uh, I'm sure people will be saying that I'm wrong, but I, I'm, <laughs> off the top of my head, I think that's what it is. Yeah. is. Um, we've been using that all summer, absolutely incredible, with um, beetroots from the garden, lots of fresh nasturtiums, lots of fresh herbs. And then um, as soon as partridge roll around, you can't drive to this restaurant without running over partridge. There's that many of them around here at the minute. Um, so we've had this incredible partridge on with our first of uh, a little bit of kale and some parsnips and stuff. And then we've actually uh two nights ago moved on to locally shop mallard um which is my personal favorite yeah. game bird to cook and eat i think it's incredible these beautiful little ducks it works very well in a tasting menu format not a lot of wastage they're quite lean at this time of the year as well they're just absolutely beautiful
0: uh sounds amazing what what a lovely selection so in, with game game meat in mind here as as a head chef um especially with you know people listening to this podcast that aren't that familiar and sort of maybe getting into cooking with game what are some of the key differences with cooking, you know, with game meats uh, uh, compared to the more common meats like like beef or, or chicken, how do you sort of adapt your cooking techniques? What have you got to look out for?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that obviously with it being game meat as opposed to something that's maybe farm or pasture-reared is... Um, you know, they're, they're getting fed all year round. Uh, they're brought inside in, and, and you know, housed inside for winter. Whereas game meat, it can be a lot leaner. It can dry out very quickly. It can overcook very quickly. And I think a lot of um, amateur chefs that, what one thing I find that they get really wrong is they don't rest their meat long enough. Um, sure. You know, they take it to the, the temperature that you want to be serving it at um, rather than taking it a few degrees less and letting it rest for 10 or 15 minutes. Um, you know, like especially partridge, especially pheasant and grouse for me, there's, there's a real, um, you have to be really, really careful with how you're cooking them. You want to, you know, you want to cook them and you want to rest them for a good 10 or 15 minutes before you're serving them. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, you know, that, it does get the reputation for being dry, uh, if, you know, not enough fat on it and stuff like that. But they're absolutely incredible if you know how to deal with them, if that makes sense.
0: For me... Callum, it's, it's predicting the cooking time. That's that's what yeah. I really struggle with. Because game meat can vary significantly, kind of it, in, in flavour oh, and yeah. tenderness, depending on the species, the age of the animal, the diet that Pulse. it's had. It, yeah. it, it's the it's the cooking time. I'm all over the place with it.
1: Oh, no, no, it it is hard. But I think that that for me, the best thing to do is just have a bit of fun with it. You know, you're cooking for yourselves and your your family and friends maybe. And it's it's all part of the experience. You know, sometimes you are going to cut into a a pheasant and you maybe lose a breast because it's all been shot. And I think that's part of the fun. And that's what I say to the guys in the restaurant as well, because sometimes they get... A little bit upset because um, the amount of game we you know we use on the menu. They say like, oh, but you know some nights we use ten birds, some nights we use fifteen for the same amount of covers. Just because if there is bad shot, then then that's what it is. But I'm saying it's fine. We keep it. It goes into the stock for the next day. Nothing gets wasted. Sure. And and if nothing else, you practice carving more birds and you're getting faster and better at that. So it's all part of the fun for me, to be honest with you.
0: Mm. And and um, I guess experience comes with what goes, uh, what complements these game dishes as well. So when you're creating your taster menus, how do you sort of pair these the different ingredients and the unique flavors, the different juices, the different gravies? Uh, yeah. is, is that
1: experience? Uh, is it trial and error over the years? I think I think it is a bit. Yeah, to be honest with you, I mean, um, very proud of our sauces here. It's it's something that I, again I have a massive passion for. Um, but we're so lucky with the abundance of kind of ingredients and the, and the larder of ingredients and preserves we have here as well. Like, um, for example, our mallard sauce at the minute, we finish it with, um, some brandy that's been infused with damsons for the last two years Ooh. and slightly sweetened. It's got a little bit of slow gin running through it. And we actually have, um, the byproduct of making the slow gin is uh, a slow jelly. When we strain off of the slows at the end, you classically finish a lot of sauces like a red currant jelly, but we've just made our own from, uh three-year-old slurs, essentially and it's just got this incredible flavor about it and obviously everyone thinks game they think slow gin you know it works so well it's we're not reinventing the wheel we're just doing it very well i think
0: yeah that's that sounds so delicious it really really does um and i guess i you know because it's so constant on your menu the the game dishes are are pretty popular not all diners are familiar with or, or open to the idea of eating game meat which can affect demand for for some dishes i guess uh which ones are your most popular which ones sort of uh, a sort of hot on the list that fly out the kitchen
1: um so obviously so uh, with kind of uh the way that the menu structured, the guest doesn't actually have a choice um, right so they, okay they, they, they uh they basically have the the 15 courses that we prepare is what it's what they will it's eat they unless they have any unless they're like pescatarian or vegetarian for example um but um, I think it's a really nice way of, of kind of doing it. So the, the, one of the first little snacks that we serve at the minute is uh, a parfait made using uh, the livers and the hearts of the mallards that we've got on the menu. So we're using absolutely every single part of the bird. And, and it's telling that story of like, you know, people make a special journey to come to our restaurant. You can't just walk up and, uh, and walk in. And, for example, you have to book. Um, and it, it isn't. Uh, it is a bit of a pain to get here it is in the middle of nowhere but that's all part of the beauty of the restaurant for me is people have already made that journey and that commitment to come to the restaurant um so when they arrive we give them a very detailed explanation of what they'll be having that evening and and one of the first things they eat is this this little um tart that's uh, filled with the hearts and livers of the ducks and it's it's absolutely beautiful i do if i do say so myself <laughs> and i think that that already hooks them they already start to trust you a little bit sure, um, sure so if they were a little bit apprehensive now they've tried it we do always encourage guests to try it and if they don't if it's not for them then we'll absolutely take it away we'll sort something else out for them no bother at all but we do always encourage them to try things the first couple of snacks you have downstairs is one of them smoked eel which a lot of people think jelly eel and don't like uh, and the other ones are duck hearts and livers it's quite a controversial start to a menu. That well, um, it is, especially but, for people that aren't that used to gaming. You're going, exactly you're going into the exactly deep that. end there. But you might, but you might as well. And yeah, And do you yeah, know what? At the end there. of the meal, you get to go speak to some of the guests, and you know, and you know, nine times out of ten, they'd say there's two snacks at the start and um, the the malad main course. It's like. Two things, I'd never order on a menu, um, but you've actually encouraged me to go out and and try it again. And it's like, well, that's that's our job done there, isn't it? They've had a great night and they've tried something new. And then, you know, who knows, maybe they will go to the butcher and and get some game rather than, uh, you know, beef fillet or, or chicken breasts or, you know, for example. I think it's a really nice thing to be able to do.
0: Well, one of the things that I've picked up on talking to many chefs uh, through through over the years with this podcast is that you know there's a real sense of responsible eating now. I think amongst restaurant goers, people are taking more of an interest in the journey that their food has taken. Maybe they're more conscious of that sort of carbon footprint. So, when you're providing this wonderful sort of taster menu with all these types of different games and you're saying you've got heart and liver and all sorts and eels you're using the full bird the full carcass the oh, full yeah. animal and that absolutely. that is what it is all about that is the message that we're trying to drive it
1: and it's so yeah. important not to waste no you're absolutely right you're absolutely right and like i said you know we've got such great outlets for for everything you know down to to making our own stocks and sources so like you say nothing very little, very very little goes goes in the bin here, and we've obviously got a, a brilliant compost system set up at the at the farm as well. Anyway, so uh, but no, but it's nice. But I think for me, it's just so important, and and like you said, it has become really cool and really trendy almost that people care about where the where the produce is coming from. And I think, that, I think that that's just brilliant, to be honest with you. I think the UK public, especially, a lot more educated on where the food's coming from these days. I like to think that around here, I can't speak for everywhere else in the country, but I know for a fact that games very accessible for everyone here, not necessarily expensive. you know. I know a lot of people that just kind of leave birds out the uh, front of the house, say, please take them
0: oh, uh, if you gosh. want them
1: kind of thing. So, you know, it's, it's a very nice part of the world to live in I'm very lucky but I think that you know a lot of people around here are massive advocates for game you can't go in any of the other local pubs around here and not see partridge or pheasant on even if it's little goujons or something like that you know something that's quite approachable for the general public
0: it's part of the culture isn't it in that in that it part is. of the world it's definitely
1: yeah. woven in yeah you, yeah, and, and, it, and it's lovely and you know I think it's great that so many people are trying to uh, really advocate it
0: and you enjoy shooting yourself do you, do you get many days out are you too busy uh, these days <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, I mean, as much as I'd like to. I, I do, to be honest with you, I do a lot more beating than I do okay. uh, shooting, or especially driven days. Um, me and my uh, little Cocker Spaniel spend all summer shooting pigeons over uh, rape, which is quite good fun. Uh, eat a lot of wood pigeon during the summer. My uh, wife's sick of it. Yeah, delicious though. I absolutely love it. And, you know, if you're shooting them, you might, you've got to eat them, haven't you? So, well, okay, quickly then, um, tell me
0: how, about your wood pigeon. How would you do that? Um, something pretty simple, but... It's it's a guaranteed winner.
1: Yeah, absolutely, so. I mean, so where where I'm where I've been shooting this uh, this summer, um, it grows right next to a stream where there's loads of wild garlic and uh, watercress. So I just like to quickly roast off the pigeon's breasts, uh, blaze them in a little bit of honey, some sesame seeds, and then just do like a little kind of wild garlic pesto and a little watercress salad with it. I think it's absolutely beautiful. Okay,
0: wait, wait, quick, write this. Everyone, write this down. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go back I mean, and listen to that again. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's um, it just it just makes sense to me. You know, yeah. it's, it's everything that's growing round. It's what the it's what the, the birds are kind of feeding on and in and around. And like again, it, it comes back to that those food miles, like. Um, why would i bother going to the shop to buy like salad when i've got watercress and wild garlic just growing at my feet yeah. you know yeah. what i mean so it's uh no it's it's nice but yeah um in terms of shooting i'd like to get out and do a lot more but it's uh it's finding time to be honest with you pretty full-on at the restaurant it's yeah, not, the, that's not it. the most searchable of jobs to be honest <laughs> <with you. laughs>
0: that's it amazing well it's um it's been a real insight into how it all works at the black swan i'm definitely going to get booked and, and uh Take a weekend. Um, Unfortunately, I'm down on the south coast. I'm not far from Brighton, so it's a bit of a journey, but I will uh, book it in at some point and take the good lady wife up for a nice weekend. Do
1: you have rooms at the Black Swan as well? Uh, Yeah, we've got nine bedrooms at the Black Swan, and we've just opened another pub down the road that's got another three bedrooms as well, so plenty of places to stay. There we go.
0: Sorted. That's my next anniversary trip, sorted. Um, (laughs) Callum, before we let you go, let's get some of these... uh, Quick fire questions here, oh, designed yeah. to get straight to the truths of your likes and dislikes here. So, all our chef guests get the same ones. So let's uh, start off uh, with number one here. Uh, in your opinion, what is the most underrated game meat? Or oh, uh, partridge. Go with partridge. Yeah, lovely. Uh, your top choice of knife? Uh, burning knife. Okay. Uh, your go-to comfort food? Um, oh God, mac and cheese. Mac and cheese. Good man. <laughs> Mac and cheese. Uh, your favourite food city in the world? Uh, London. London, okay. All right, that's interesting. Uh, wine, beer or cocktails? Uh, beer. We'll go with a beer. Are we talking lager yeah. or nice ale or an IPA? A- ale, definitely yeah, ale. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the worst flavour in the world, in your opinion?
1: I really dislike Seabuckthorn. It's something we grow a lot of at the restaurant and it's not personally my cup of tea. I don't think
0: I've had that. Okay, I'll look that up. Or maybe
1: i won't um uh, the yeah. most unusual thing that you've eaten oh man um probably sharks maybe the strangest one yeah. i've had One ingredient you can't live without salt
0: salt yeah okay
1: uh, quite, it's quite a popular one uh restaurant recommendation other than yours um so there's a lovely little restaurant uh in helmsley about 10 minutes from us uh, called bantam uh they do a lot of game cookery as well and it's like a little sharing plate kind of tapas place they just open another pub as well sam the owner there is an insane chef and yeah i'd, I'd tell everyone in the country to go and eat there it's our favorite restaurant
0: brilliant and finally uh, callum your last meal on earth you get to pick one main course what are you having
1: uh, a real nice roast bit of venison, to be honest with you, maybe with chips and a Bernays sauce.
0: Sounds absolutely amazing, <laughs> Callum. Thank you so much. Right, BlackSwanOldstead.co.uk. That's where you need to go. Go book yourself a trip um, to uh, to Yorkshire if, uh, <laughs> if you can, and go and experience it firsthand. Callum, Leslie, thank you so much for your time.
1: Uh, it's been my pleasure, Tom. Thank you very
0: much. So my guest next week will be chef and director of the Michelin-starred beach house in Oxwich, Wales, Howell Griffith. When sustainability is the number one topic,
1: why buy, you know, meats from a supermarket that's flown from Europe when you can eat a partridge instead of a chicken, you can eat a a venison steak instead of a, a beef steak.
0: Howell Griffith then, joining me next week. So make sure you subscribe to the channel because every week we're going to bring you a different conversation from one of the country's best-loved chefs. The Eat Game podcast is a Media Cage production. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.